Thank you. I always uh, appreciate the phone call from Garth and he sends me some dates and some options and says, can you come and do it again? And, uh, and then I look forward in expectation to see what passage he's going to dump on me. Uh, and I actually do value the challenge of studying a particular uh, passage of scripture and seeing what God has to say to us. So let's uh, see what God has to say to us this morning because you know what? Romans 3 tells us that we are all in the same boat. And Romans 3 is comparing, Paul's talking about is it better to be a Jew or to be a Gentile? And the conclusion that he comes to is that we're all in the same boat. I don't know whether any of you have been on a cruise but uh, you've probably uh, been on a ship something like this, sailed around the uh, Mediterranean and all these people are in the same boat but you probably uh, realise that sometimes it can end up like this and uh, they are still in the same boat, they're trying to get off that particular boat (laughs) but uh, all in the same boat uh, is the theme that I want us to remember uh, today. I did also forget to mention earlier, if you wanted just a quick a brochure or an overview about uh, the work of Entrust, there's some on the table there. I forgot to tell you that earlier. Okay, I want to uh, throw up a word here. When I put up the word faithful, what comes to mind? What do you think about when I mention the word faithful? There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of options for faithful. It's my shot of an elephant that I took in Thailand. Elephants live to be 80 years of age if they're kept in captivity. They are the most beautiful animals you can ever imagine. They were actually, we, we went to a special show and they were playing a soccer match with these elephants. Really clever. One of them actually did an oil painting. It painted a, a picture, a landscape scene with uh, a, a stream and some bushes and some jungle and some trees and an elephant. We watched an elephant paint this picture. So when I think of the word faithful, I think of elephants because they are incredibly faithful things. The word husband or wife might come to mind when we think about faithful. Maybe your son or daughter or is faithful. They're great uh, sons and daughters. Maybe you think about your parents as being faithful. What about your dog? Dogs are very faithful. Our dog will be home by himself all day today. We get, we, I always ring the doorbell even though I know no one's there. And he wakes up and he comes trotting through and the tail's going. And even though we've been away and left him for the day, he's actually very faithful. So we think about a dog being faithful. Some guys might think about their car as being faithful. Uh, Maybe some aren't. (laughs) A faithful friend, the hymn, Come All Ye Faithful. Our pastor can be very faithful and look after us and love us and take care of us. The other pastor I wrote down was a -A P-A-S-T-A. Maybe we know about a good restaurant. Uh, And we can go to this restaurant because we know the food is outstanding and every time they churn out a good meal. A product, I'm an Apple fan, I'm afraid. I have an iPhone and an iPad and an iMac. A bit of an Apple tragic. The reason I love that equipment is because it's faithful. It does what it says it will do. And if I think about faithful, I think about God. God is a faithful God and we see that right through Scripture. I wonder how faithful you and I are. There's another word I'm going to put up for you to have a look at. What about that one? Unfaithful. When we think about what is unfaithful, What comes to mind? And as I was preparing this list, the thing that came to mind of being faithful are the very things in our lives that can also be unfaithful. A relationship that can be someone unfaithful in a relationship, a husband or wife or a son or a daughter, a friend, a mother or father, a dog could run away, a car could break down, a friend or pastor could do the wrong thing by you. We can easily be unfaithful, but you know what? God is faithful. God is the only thing that doesn't appear on on both lists. 
we have a faithful God and, uh, and we, uh, if you look through scripture and look at our hearts, we're an unfaithful people. That shot was taken in Brunswick Street, uh, in a, one of the uh, side alleys in Brunswick Street. Someone expressing, I'm not sure what, probably their frustration with life. But today I want us to leave here with three words uh, in our hearts and in our heads. I want us to take home three words. If you remember nothing else, remember these three words and think of them through the week. A faithful God, a forgiven people and an acquitted people. As we look through Romans, these are the three, Romans 3 at least, these are the three broad headings that I want to, us to consider. So first of all, God is faithful in the first eight verses of Romans chapter 3. We see that God is faithful. Regardless of our behaviour, God continues to be faithful towards us. And the question is asked in this passage, does God treat the Jews or the non-Jews any differently? And uh, and sometimes as Gentiles we think God's plan was for the the Jews, but as Gentiles we think well, maybe we're only getting God's second best. Being a Jew was special and Paul reminds the Romans that being a Jew was special because God had entrusted the Jews with writing down and caring for God's message and that made them very special. Even in the course of doing that, if some Jews abandoned their post, God did not abandon them. And I'm in, in my devotions reading through the Old Testament, I'm up to, up to uh, Judges and we see you know, right from Adam and Eve and how often God had a plan and mankind failed and went right on through. And it continued right through the Old Testament and it continues right through to us today. God gave the law to the children of Israel to be obeyed and to be followed. The law was a temporary measure and God said he would make a new covenant with Israel in Jeremiah 31 and verse uh, 31. He said, I will make a new covenant. This law that we've currently got is to help you understand what God's standard is so that we can set the standard that, we, that God expects us to obey. But in Jeremiah, God says, but I'm going to bring a new covenant. There's going to be a new way of dealing with sin uh, for you people. And of course we understand, and we've just celebrated communion, that Jesus came to fulfil the law and to be the new covenant uh, in relationship with God. Man's been running from God right since the Garden of Eden, escaping from Egypt. Think about that, running out of Egypt. They were so sick of Egypt, they asked God to get them out of there and God miraculously rescued them from Egypt. They'd been on the road, I think, a few weeks when they were whinging and complaining because there was no meat and they missed the sights and smells and sounds of Egypt. And I love the Keith Green song from the 70s or 80s. So you want to go back to Egypt because you miss all the stuff that you were trying to escape from. It's very interesting how quickly our hearts can turn, how quickly individually we can change our minds. They then spent 40 years wandering around the wilderness and God uh, uh, wouldn't allow that that group of people that left Egypt to enter the promised land because of their lack of faith. And you look right through, through King David, through Solomon, through the kings, all unfaithful to God. Started out well, some of them, and often ended up in tears. And then we see the, the New Testament. We look at the New Testament and what was happening with the early church, the squabbling and the fighting and the, the difficulties and discussions. And, uh, and right through the early church there was some, some uh, frustrations as well. And then of course we end up today. How are we doing today? What about 2012? Has God given up on, uh, given up on us yet? I don't believe so. 
As you've seen by my uh, earlier brief overview of where I spend some of my life, we live in an incredibly complex world. I was at one of those schools in the back end of Burma um, in the jungle and I was talking to some high school students and uh, as we went to their village, uh, to, their, to their school, there's a guy walking around with, a, with an RPG, a rocket propelled grenade on his shoulder, a great big long tube with one of those things you see them wandering around in the Middle East. They can take out tanks and small aircraft. And he's walking around this village with a rocket propelled grenade on his shoulder and the other guy had an AK-47 and someone else had, had a, um, uh, a, a launcher for, for uh, hand grenades, 50 millimetre hand grenade launcher. And we were walking around and we went to this school and these kids didn't bat an eyelid, these soldiers in full combat uniform and they just say, well, that's the way life is for them. And we walked past a little shop in that village and the shop comprised of a little grass hut with a piece of timber about this wide and it had six packets of crisps and then four packets of noodles and three bottles of pop, of, of soft drink on the thing and that was their shop. And now I went and we met the kids and we, we talked, about, uh, talked to them and I said, do you have any questions for us, for us foreigners who have come to visit you? And two girls started giggling and talking together and they're very shy of the Karen people and I said, what was your question? And they giggled and laughed and said, oh, do you have any sons? <laughs> <laughs> that was what was on the girls' hearts. They wanted to find if I had any sons so they could marry them and get out of there. That was the plan. <laughs> I could see that coming like a steam train. Now, any other questions? The guy put his hand up. He said, could you tell us about Australia? And you know, in that, in that question, my heart sank a bit and I thought, oh, what do I, how do I start? I just spent eight hours on the road in a four-wheel drive in a jungle track where the jungle's brushing both sides of the truck and we're going through rice paddies and past these little uh, bamboo and grass huts for eight hours to get there, to go 90 kilometres. And she wants to know what Australia's like. And they've got a school with bamboo walls, a blackboard and two bits of chalk, that's it. No textbooks, no pencils, nothing. They haven't got TV, they haven't got computer, they've got a little bit of power they generate to keep some lights going so they can run their radio so they can see what the Burmese army is up to. But that's it. So I said, well, I said, let me try to put it to you this way. I said, it took me eight hours to come here in a jungle track on a little narrow dirt road. They know what the road's like. Many of them have never left that village. I said, in the city I come from, there are almost four million people living there. I said, we have, we have black uh, tar-sealed roads. In some parts of the city, it's six lanes going in this direction and their mouths went... And I said, oh, but there's six lanes coming the other way as well. And they're going, oh, wow. They just couldn't get their head around that. I said, the tallest building in the city where I come from is 88 stories high. And one guy shot his hand up. And I said, what's your question? He said, how does it stay up? <laughs> and then I said, you know, I said, in our local shops, the Doncaster Westfield, our local shopping centre, and I'd started the sentence and I had to finish it. I thought, it's just so inappropriate. I said, there are 300 shops in this one shopping centre. And then we, we had to get going. We had to keep moving. And I was expecting the next question to be, what would you put in 300 shops? <laughs> when you think about their local little shop with peanuts, pop and some instant noodles. We live in a complex world. A world with incredible wealth. And I think that this country, uh, next to I think either Switzerland or Norway, is now in the, in the either first or second in the, in the wealthiest per capita income uh, on the planet. We are living in, if not the, the second wealthiest uh, country on the planet in terms of dollar income per capita. Think about that. So incredible wealth, 
and incredible poverty. Some people have plenty and some have nothing. Some people have freedom and some people are bonded slaves working in a brothel in Bangkok. Some are self-made and we're independent and some are totally dependent on whether the rice crop will come in this year. By nature we are selfish, we are materialistic, I can speak for myself, I'm sure you're different, but self-focused, we make excuses for things that are just wrong. We water down our faith to blend in. We don't want to be sticking out too much as Christians, we want to share our faith, we want to be culturally appropriate, but we don't want to be geeks, do we? We live immoral lives. We have an immoral government. We gossip, we lie, we cheat, we swear, we have wrong attitudes, we have wrong examples to others, we are in wrong relationships. There is a lack of prayer, a lack of faith and we are disobedient to God and his word a lot of the time. Now if you're different to me, I'd like you to uh, tell me afterwards and you can pray for me. I'll give you my email and you can tell, keep me on the straight and narrow. And I'm not all these things. God, by his grace, has kept me and I have been a faithful husband to my wife and my family and I have sought to serve God with my entire life. doesn't mean I've always got it right, but it does mean that I've still got my compass facing to God and I'm seeking to follow him. But you know what? If, if God looks at mankind, he has every reason in the world to wipe us out, to wipe us off the faith of the earth. But what is God's response to uh, independence, to mankind's independence, especially the 21st century Western independence that I see wherever I go? Romans 3 verse 3, it says, Does our faithfulness cancel out God's faithfulness? That's the rhetorical question. And Paul says, Not at all. God remains true in spite of us. He has remained true to mankind since Adam and Eve messed up in the Garden of Eden. The scripture that was quoted in this passage that we read was read to us this morning is Psalm 51 verse 4. Your words, stands, uh, your words stand last and true. Let me try it again. Your words stand fast and true. Rejection by us does not make you change your mind. In other words, if we reject God, it doesn't cause God to change his mind. So when we ask the question, when Paul says, ask the question, is it better to be a Jew or be a Gentile? The answer is, in God's eyes, we are all the same. We're all fallen uh, sinners. And just because one was entrusted with writing the scriptures, it doesn't make them any better than those of us who are uh, are told to obey it. So the first first word that I have for you is, uh, God is faithful. We serve a faithful God who does not reject us and hangs in with us in spite of ourselves. What's the second word? second word is forgiveness. And of course, because God is so faithful, because I've just described what we are like as mankind, then uh, we all need forgiveness. We are all in the same boat. Now, I did a quick head count on that boat. There are 54 people in there. I think if you put 55 people in there, it would probably sink. (laughs) It's not my picture. But, uh, But it reminds me of whether it's the Concordia, the big cruise ship lying on its side, or whether it's a boat crossing a river in Bangladesh, we are actually all in the same boat. As far as God is concerned, we are all sinners and we have all uh, disobeyed God. In 1981, Julie and I joined a little ship called the Logos and there were 141 people on board and it was about 89 metres long and we lived on that ship for over two years sailing around the world and we were all in the same boat, I can tell you. 
it was an interesting living in a community. We, we knew everyone on board, each had a job to do. We were committed to safety when we were at sea. We helped each other, we worked out our differences, we prayed, we studied, we shared bathrooms and dining rooms and common rooms. We were all in the same boat, we were there to serve God and to take the gospel to the, literally the ends of the earth. We shared something in common. We were together with a common mission to serve God. What a privilege that was. But it was tough. It was a tough lifestyle. It sounds very glamorous, but I want to assure you it was, a, it was tough. And so because we are Christians, because we are living in the 21st century, whether Jew or Gentile, we are all in the same boat. Whether we are Christians or not Christians, we are in the same boat. And that simply is that we are sinners who need forgiveness from the living God. We need to know God's forgiveness for the things that we do wrong and we need to daily confess those sins before him. And the Bible in this passage talks about being righteous. What does the word righteous mean? I did some uh, word study. I'm not a Greek or a Hebrew scholar. But uh, the word righteous goes back to a base word which means to move in a straight line. And therefore righteous or right-wise means uh, in the straight or right way. So when we use the the word, uh, the reference to morality, righteousness means to live or act in the right or straight way. To live or act in the right or straight way. So that's the definition of what it means to be righteous. So we are following a straight line, we're following a straight path and that path of course needs to be leading to God. So the question I have is what is the right way? In our society people often say that everyone must determine what is right for themselves. We live in a society where people say if it feels good it's okay. If I want to move in with my boyfriend, if I'm a male and I want to live with my boyfriend that's alright because it feels good. And if we want to have the civil union be married to each other as males that's okay because it feels okay. And if we line up the way we live with what the scriptures teach us, we realise that we're on a, on a road that's going in two very, very different directions. The Bible offers a different view. It sets up the, as the ultimate standard of rightness or righteousness as God himself. If we look at God, we see what it is to be truly righteous. God's character reveals what is absolutely right. He is the measure of what is right or wrong. And that's why the law was given <coughs> excuse me, in the first place. The law was given so that we know what God's standard is. We look at the Ten Commandments and they're still applicable today. We know what God's standard has set a very high standard for us. We are all in the same boat. From God's point of view, it means that we are all sinners. And sin even is not a very popular word today because well, we can't tell people we're sinners that we're wrong because that's uh, that's condemning them. Paul quotes eight different passages of scripture to back up this fact. He he uses Psalms, Ecclesiastes and Isaiah. And what I want to do is just read you those same verses that were read to us this morning and I'll read it to you in uh, a version called The Message which I'm sure you're aware of because it talks to us in our modern language. There's nobody living right, not even one. Nobody who knows the score, nobody alert for God. They've all taken the wrong turn. They've wandered down blind alleys. No one's living right. I can't find a single one. Their throats are gaping graves and tongues as slick as mudslides. Every word they speak is tinged with poison. They open their mouths and pollute the air. You can hear that at any shopping centre you attend. They race for the honour of sinner of the year, litter the land with heartbreak and ruin. 
They don't know the first thing about living with others. They never give God the time of day. This makes it clear, doesn't it, that whatever is written in these scriptures is not what God says about others, but to us to whom these scriptures were addressed in the first place. And it's clear enough, isn't it, that we're sinners, every one of us, in the same sinking boat with everybody else. We're all sinners saved by God's grace. And so that brings me up to my uh, final point. We are acquitted followers. We are followers and we have been acquitted, verses 21 to 31 in Romans 3. We serve a just God, we've infringed God's law and deserve punishment. And the whole human race has been given a death sentence unless justice can be met. If you read through your Old Testament, you see that animals were sacrificed to get forgiveness for their sins. But Jesus was God's lamb to be sacrificed for us. He came to earth to be our sacrifice. It cost Jesus' life to purchase our acquittal. And God receives anyone who accepts Jesus' offer of forgiveness. And it's not something we do, you know, back in 1964 when I became a Christian. It's something that I have to do every single day of my life, is to come back to the foot of the cross and say, Jesus, I failed. I didn't have the right attitude. I didn't say the right thing. I didn't respond in a way that was godly. Will you forgive me for, for, uh, for my response? It's only by faith in God, in, in relationship with God, that we can know forgiveness and know uh, true life for both Jews and non-Jews. Romans 3.28 For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. So here in this passage we see Paul saying is it better to be a Jew or a Gentile? Is the law different for one than for the other? And the simple message is this No, we are all the same. We have a faithful God we have been forgiven and that we are acquitted when we confess our sin and have that relationship with God. I wonder what sort of a uh, follower that we are, acquitted followers. Just let me tell you quickly about this young man who is not so young, but his name is Peter Thien. He's a contact, a friend of mine in Yangon, in, in uh, Rangoon, in Burma or Myanmar. And Peter is, uh, was spent a number of years of his life as a Buddhist priest. He had the shaved head and the saffron robe and he uh, used to spend time in the Buddhist temples and was one of the priests in Burma. And he had an encounter with Jesus and became a Christian. And Peter's life now is committed to sharing the gospel with other Buddhists in that country. He's, uh, he's a, there's a state called the Rakhine State uh, and it's a very, very needy, dark place. And Buddhism is strong there but there's also an overlay of satanic and occult activity underneath that sort of Buddhist faith and so in the Buddhist tradition they have what they call uh, one meal, one message, one gift and it's a tradition within Buddhist culture that you'd invite your neighbours for a meal and then you'd give them a gift and then you would tell them about your Buddhist faith so Peter has contextualised the gospel and he goes back into Rakhine State around Christmas time and he offers a one meal, one message, one gift program so he goes into the villages that are Buddhist and he says I'd like to do this Buddhist tradition with you and offer you uh, a meal. So he puts on this huge meal for the whole village. Then everyone gets a gift. It might be simple things like a lungi or these cloths they wear. It might be a toothbrush or some soap or, or a towel or something, basic household items. They're very poor people. And because he's given them a meal and because he's given them a gift, he then has the opportunity to give them a message. And he talks about the gospel in the way that a Buddhist would understand it. He talks about the five paths 
to Christianity. Instead of the traditional five paths to Buddhism, he goes and talks about the five paths to Christianity and he shares the basics of the gospel through these five paths and because he uses language that Buddhists understand, it's not this Christian language which they're used to, he uses Buddhist language in a way of describing the gospel, people are coming to faith in the Rakhine state in, uh, in that part of Myanmar. So acquitted followers, I think of that, I think of Peter, a Buddhist priest promoting Buddhism. Now saved by God's grace, confessed his sin in following Jesus and seeking to share his faith with others. Acquitted, not because of anything he did, but acquitted because of the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. As I close, I just want to ask a question. What sort of a follower am I? What sort of a follower am I? Maybe I'm one of these people who will follow the crowd and, uh, and just do whatever the, is the easiest thing to do. You know, I'm told, I don't follow football that well, but I'm told if you go to the footy and you sit in the, amongst the Collingwood cheer squad, even if you barrack for another team, it's probably a good idea that day to barrack for Collingwood. I'm not sure, I might be wrong. But uh, unless you want your head knocked off, you probably barrack for Collingwood that day. And isn't it so easy to be say, yes, we're Christians and we follow Jesus, but we get into a crowd or a business situation or a group at work or a group in school or university and it's so easy, isn't it, just to take a back seat. Look, I think I'll follow Collingwood today. It's probably a wise move, I don't think. And to be a Christian is to, to be salt and light in the place where God has put us. And I want to tell you it's hard to be appropriate because we don't want to come across, at least I don't want to come across as a Christian geek and turn people off from the gospel because I, I hit it so hard. But the other side of that uh, equation is you don't want to be so soft and so gentle in your approach that people don't think that we're any different. What sort of a follower am I? Maybe uh, the alternative is the narrow road, the narrow path. It's rocky and it's steep and it's tough and you see the odd flower along the way. You see the odd flower along the path. And when we're guided and led by God, the rocky path's okay some of the stuff I shared with you earlier I, I didn't really fully know what I was going into and even the little bit I knew I didn't tell Julie about before I went there because I didn't want her to worry but you know and people said to me why did you do that isn't that just dumb well the truth is that God's given me an opportunity to minister into a situation which probably few others on the planet have had and I believe that's a God given opportunity for me and yes I'm wise and yes I, I try to be careful but I'm not scared about actually putting my life on the line if I believe that God's leading me to do something. I'm not worried about that. When the guy said, will you come with me 60k to my village, there was the line, I saw it very clearly. I thought, no, I'm not going that way. I don't want to expose myself that much. That would be unwise. But sometimes as followers of Jesus, we need to take that rocky, narrow road and trust God for the next step. Because if it's all a big, clear, six-lane freeway, it's actually, uh, it's actually uh, not the path that God wants us to go on. So the way that we spend our money, our time, our skills, our talents and maintain our relationships needs to be honouring to God. God's plan is to be in relationship with us. The relationship started out well in the Garden of Eden and from Adam and Eve mankind sinned and God has now spent the last four, five, six thousand years reconciling us back to himself through the blood of Jesus Christ. And most of us here, I'm sure, are Christians and follow Jesus. And some of us come along because it's the thing to do. We need to be seen to be here. And maybe there are people here that don't yet 
know Jesus but I want to assure you that if you're spending your life running from God trying to justify your existence to stop and to confess the things that are wrong in your life and to invite Christ to come into your life and change you from the inside out is the best decision you will ever make I will ever I ever made in my own life three words to take home God is faithful we are forgiven and we've been acquitted and our only response can be thank you Lord Jesus to remember we are in the same boat and let's hope it's not the Concordia in terms of sin yes it is uh, we've crashed and burned but God has provided a, a way of escape for us forgiven and acquitted by a faithful God so we think about Romans 3 we think about those three things we think about our sin and our independence and how God wants to continue to have that relationship with us and folks in my experience as a Christian for 40 years it's a daily, it's a daily thing for me it's a daily thing to come to the foot of the cross and say Lord can you help me can you guide me can you lead me by your spirit through this next day so that I maximise every opportunity you give me and so that people will look at my life and see you in and through me. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you for the challenge of your word. I thank you that uh, you are a faithful God. I thank you that you have forgiven us for those things that we've done wrong. We thank you for the shed blood of Jesus and the fact that we've been acquitted and forgiven. And Father, as we reflect on that and we think about the implications in our relationship with you, our walk with you day by day, our connections with the people you have placed us amongst in our community, in our families, in our homes, in our street, within our church. Lord, my prayer is that you'll guide us and challenge us and lead us each one to follow you with our whole heart, to be obedient to what your word says, to set a moral standard that will actually show by our example the way that you want us to live our lives. Will you help us this week? Will you go before us? Will you give us opportunities to be able to share with others the love that we have for you? We thank you for this time together and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.